0: we started right on the hour so I'll uh, get going on the introductions and and um, if you've if you're familiar with meet meet the author series um then you're familiar with Gary Wong the complexity facilitator and uh, I'm uh, I'm taking over from from Tamara as the technical uh co-host I guess just to make sure everything runs smoothly but uh super excited to kick off the new series this year the uncertainty of and uh, the first topic is is ESG. So I'll throw your questions in the in the chat. Uh, we will keep keep them uh, uh, work work them into the conversation as as we go. But uh, I'll I'll turn things over to Gary to introduce the topic and introduce our uh, expert guest today.
1: Great, thank you, Scott. Well, um, as Scott said, this is our very first show, um, and certainly ob. So for those joining us for the. First time, or would like a refresher, so what's this all about? Well, as humans, we are good at creating regulations, standards, policies, compliance rules, best practices. And all this leads to certainty. You know, if we do this, then we get that. Well, in this show, what we want to explore is another region of the real world, one that's not certain, not consistent, and not predictable. So if you have experienced confusion, dilemmas, paradoxes, you know what it feels like here. We typically associate certainty with robustness and uncertainty with resilience. Businesses say that what they fear most is uncertainty. This is the realm of resilience. So what is it? Resilience is being aware of changing conditions that may lead to unintended consequences. Being resilient also means surviving a massive change that actually does happen. Well, today's topic, as Scott said, is sustainability by ESG investing. So there's a couple of big concepts packed there. First is sustainability, and the second is this thing called an ESG framework, and ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. I'm really, really pleased to have Megan Garrett join us. Welcome, Megan, to our show.
2: Hey, thanks.
1: Yeah, now Megan has recently taken on a new role as engineering director for regulatory affairs at the Climate Control Group, based in Oklahoma. So, can you, Megan, maybe tell us a bit about your position and how you see sustainability, ESG investing, connected?
2: Yeah. So, in my role, I lead a team that's focused on ensuring that our products not only meet our standards, but they excel them right, and just from the industry, along with quality and sustainability. A lot of that comes with UL testing, generation of reports, um, AHRI, ASHRAE, some of those regulations that really tie into the HVAC world that I'm in. But outside of that, I do a lot of work with the DOE, the EPA, and various energy commissions as we work with Energy Star or, you know, net carbonization and that kind of thing. Title 24 is huge and dealing a lot with that in California, obviously, and While we're doing all of that, we're trying to stay ahead of refrigerant changes with the A2L and a lot of that stuff as well. Um, Kind of how this ties directly into ESG is, well, efficiency ratings are key, right? I mean, it's one of the things that we talk about the most. It's what we see a lot reporting. It's very important to stakeholders, to supply chain and all that fun stuff. So it ties directly into what we're doing, specifically with my business. It's the Inflation Reduction Act with those geothermal tax energy credits.
1: Right. Okay. So obviously you're based in the U.S., but are in Canada? Is the landscape similar? Is it quite different?
2: You know, I think it's really similar. Um, while we have different tax credits or different legislation in some places, it's the same stuff, though. It's the same series of reporting, the same requirements. I mean, the what just this week, right? The Lululemon greenwashing thing. So everything's wow. leaking out the same. So it's I think on the same page, but doesn't matter the country but just different tax implications and legislative.
1: Yeah, and then recognize that there are federal as well as their state or in our case, provinces in Canada, right? And are there also municipal? Did, did
2: yeah. they you get involved in this as well? They could, I haven't seen a lot of that. I haven't seen much less below the state levels, okay. um, at least not yet anyways.
1: Yeah, right, okay. Well, you know, life would be grand if everything we predicted would come true. However, it doesn't, so that's why we're here today to talk about uncertainty. We do know that uncertainty emerges from uncontrollable forces that change conditions. What do you kind of see are the significant forces that we must really pay attention to?
2: I think the first one in regards to ESG and sustainability is going to be political power and influence, right? We have an ever, ever growing and changing regulatory environment, and those the political forces shape that landscape, which directly influence those ESG reporting requirements. You know, different governments or municipalities may introduce laws mandating certain disclosures or different environmental impacts, social requirements and responsibilities, or governance repairs. Um, you might see someone try to report that there are carbon emissions or disclose information that's you know not exactly true or isn't up to par, um, and that's not even touching those policy priorities. I'm just talking about the political, the power, and the influence that we see at the very high level.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Um, With that power, though, it's going to lead to a lot of increased pressure on companies, right? There is so much pressure is going to come down where they're going to be asking, begging, demanding that you disclose information related to those priorities in those ESG reports.
1: Yeah, so we're talking like investors.
2: Do
1: I buy buy into this company? Why should I buy into this particular company?
2: Right. Um, The investor demand is going to be hard, not just that, but the stakeholders, right? Investors are increasingly integrating ESG factors in their decision-making processes. So they recognize that ESG risks have material impacts on financial performance over that long-term period. And companies that demonstrate strong ESG performance may attract more investment and enjoy better access to capital.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that the markets have done really well despite all the crazy things that are happening in the world. You know, and if, you're, if you've been investing, you would understand it returns really good. Are we still in the early stages of finding good information that kind of separate out, okay, um, you are investing in ESG and you're doing well or you're not doing well? Um, I assume that there are people out there looking at the data, trying to figure out, because I know me as an investor, I'm, I'm curious. I want to I know where emergent. Yeah, I, I want to go where emerging energy is going, for example. And can I actually buy, a, you know, a, a, what, an equity an e- ETF like that or whatever? So I know there are people like me, investing, they're asking these sort of questions. Are we still working through that and trying to gather good data?
2: Yes, and I don't think that's ever going to stop. You know, we mm. talked about the power and then we talked about some of those, um. Oh my word. Oh, investor demands. Sorry. Lost my whole train of thought. And but so that power is demanding what the investors want. Now the investors are going, we do this, we do this, buy from us because we are net zero or we're energy efficient or um whatever it is and they're looking at that to buy a company which is going to in lieu lead to those consumer preferences which is, I think is what you're talking about. Consumers don't really know what they don't know. And I can't fault anybody for that, Lord I didn't neither right? It happens. But I think people are becoming more and more conscious of sustainability issues and favoring companies that demonstrate commitment to ESG principles. Because those ESG principles aren't just talking about, you know, (coughs) sustainability. It could be different things from a labor perspective or a people perspective, and it all ties together, um, applying into those numbers.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And of course, you know, there's a consumer side, and then there's a supply chain side as well.
2: Yeah, um, supply chain right now, I think, it is just bad, right? I think we all know it's just heavy, right? They're so vulnerable to disruptions caused by environmental, social, and government factors. you got climate change. you got labor rights violations. You could have strikes. You could have corruptions. Um, companies need to make sure that they're assessing and managing those risks so that the resilience of their supply chains stay going as much as they can.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, as you, as you say, this is an issue where some of these companies, like like Lululemon, and I mention Lululemon because they're based in Vancouver, where I am, you know, and you know we're very proud of them. Then you read something comes out that okay, you know, they're not practicing good ESG. So why is that? And you go down deeper, and you find a lot of it's in the supply chain. Where where is the clothes being manufactured? Then you so when you walk by, when I walk by, when I go up my street, Fourth Avenue, I walk by. The alignment, and I and I look at their signage on the windows and they talk a bit about trying to be, you know, good corporate citizens, green, but you do have this back in the mind here. So again, where's this clothes being being made, manufactured?
2: It's true. Um, and that really ties into the other half of ESG that a lot of people don't think about. It's the disclosing, well, we planted a tree, it doesn't matter that a you know, it was made in a sweatshop somewhere, right, or whatever that may be, or we're polluting the air with a whole bunch of air emissions, but it's okay because we planted an acre of trees in the rainforest. Um, Effective stakeholder engagements are really going to help build trust, mitigate risks, and identify opportunities for those innovations and collaborations, and I think that's going to be really the main thing that's going to help drive a lot of that going forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then we've got other stakeholders involved, including the employees. What do the employees think about the company that they're working for? Did did I join this company? Because they are good corporate citizens, ESG, and there's communities, NGOs. So what else is there about stakeholder engagement you want to talk about?
2: I think the main thing is is when you have effective stakeholder engagement, it's really going to help build trust. Mm. Um, And that is key when you're trying to mitigate any risk or reputation or fault If you really have buy-in because you have something you can really lean on or do or prove and show, that trust is going to be able to be be built. And with that trust, you can really start identifying opportunities and mitigating those risks that could come up with supply chain or investing or any side of business.
1: Yeah, yeah, really, really good point. Okay, other things you want to
2: talk about? I don't think so. Um... With some stakeholder information, right? You're going to end up getting some long-term values and some competitive advantages, but I think those are really the main things.
1: Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with uh, with a fellow friend of mine, and he just came back from visiting the Panama Canal, and, and you know, and he says, "Well, I was down there like two years ago. Now you can really see the drought conditions take over." Uh, but his biggest concern was being a Canadian. He was going down there and he was concerned because a Panama mine, Canada, had just recently shut down. So he was very worried, like, do I wear my Canadian pin or not? Is that a good idea? Whatever. So he chose not to, for whatever reasons. Um, But when he got into an Uber taxi, just strike up a conversation. And the fella mentioned that I used to work at this mine. In Panama so John was like okay you know don't don't talk too much about that because obviously here's this fellow now driving a taxi when he probably had a pretty good job working the mine." so again you talk about engaging stakeholders you don't know where the stakeholders are
2: you don't and in this day and age how many people can just pick up their device and next thing you know you're streaming live or a video is posted or there's anything that could tie together in come back to hurt you or help you, you know, both ways. So you really want to be cautious.
1: Yeah. I could,
2: would have been so nervous.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Oh, my hands off. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was just very, he likes to talk. He was very quiet, you know, and understandable. Okay. Just, just don't want to provoke anything. And as you say, um, um, you said the magic word trust, right? It's really all about trying to build that trust.
2: It yeah. is from your employee to your stakeholder, to your customer.
1: Okay. I just want to go back to that thing about um, politics. So, so why has ESG become so politicized?
2: Well, we do live in that world, um, but I would have to really think it's ideological differences, right? Um, you have a right hand and a left hand, right side, left side, and those different political ideologies are going to have different views. Um you know, when we think about it, those left-leaning political parties may prioritize environmental conservation and social equity, whereas the right-leaning parties may emphasize free market principles and limited government intervention. And those two really don't match most of the time. So whenever you have a good boxing match in front of you, there tends to be some heated discussions.
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm, um, I'm not <clears throat> one of those that looks for the win and lose like that i'm looking for the win win so how can you know it's a, it's a both hand sort of thing just like we talk about um, robustness and resilience it's not an either or it's no, a, it's yeah. a both hand we got to have those rules and compliance things in place to prevent accidents but we also got to realize there are times when those rules and standards and policies maybe don't quite fit the situation or a new novel situation that's hit us we've never faced before so what do we do there And that's where this whole thing about resilience comes in. And that's why we want to talk about why, you know, understanding uncertainty is is so important. It's true. On that note, note, um, since a lot of risk is associated with those uncontrollable forces, can we talk about the positive side of uncertainty? Can can uncertainty become an advantage for a particular firm or company?
2: Yeah. A lot of times when you're looking at ESG, you're looking at climate change, human rights, um, economic inequality, and you're working toward making all of that better. Right? right. So when you start looking into that and you're digging in and, and you're moving forward, it's going to give you a really good baseline to help you move forward. And then let's be real. We joke about the group. I shouldn't say joke, but, you know, someone is planting trees. Someone is doing the right thing. May mm-hmm. not be the perfect thing or the best answer, but the entire idea of it is that we're moving forward with sustainability. we're moving forward with different human rights or we're prioritizing you know different equality or different things that we're trying to make better.
1: Yeah yeah I think it's also an opportunity if, if you are a business and you're looking at saying okay, my business assumptions which are ahead, I've changed. So what do I have to look and how do I look things differently in order to survive? And you talk quite nicely about the political side. I mean, there's tariffs, sanctions, and there's even wars going on right now. But I, also, I was going to look at different models for the economy. You know, we've always been into this linear economy, you know, where we kind of like, we we, we make something, we produce it, we sell it. And then it ends up, you know, in the garbage dump. So, sure. that's in your things. So, now I'm reading things like, well, how do we get more circular, right? Reuse and everything else here. Doesn't that fall under ESG? Yeah. It does.
2: Yeah. Sustainability, recycling, right? Did you pick up that bag that's mostly made from recyclable materials? Um, all that type of stuff. It's going to help it become more localized and connected. And which one is we're going to see as things move forward? And it's it's kind of a good thing. Um, yeah. What is that one, It's a there's a sock company out there right now that if you buy a pair of socks, they plant a tree or back when, you know, in my earlier days, I remember if you buy a pair of Toms, right, they give a pair of shoes to somebody else. Making those circular economic decisions are huge and that's exactly what ESG is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then when we talked a bit about supply chain, we always talked about the um, globalization supply chain, but wow, we've seen that supply chain broken whether it's human imposed through wars or whatever, or whether it's drought, you know, those sort of situations, like that's what the Panama's facing here. So now it's, it's as a company, do you look at saying, I want all my connected because it's faster, better, cheaper, or do I have to look more localized now? And I really noticed, um, like even in Vancouver, the, the local farmer markets that are flourishing quite well. Like, so why why do I want that particular head of lettuce that comes all the way from California when I can just buy it locally, you know, in the Fraser Valley? Does that make more sense now?
2: Well, I think it does. And I also think that the times are changing, um, whether you want to call it millennials, Gen Z, whatever it is, right, whatever generation, but... Um, there's an instant mode of gratification. We live in such a world where people are more apt to go to that farmer's market because they can pick it up and take it home. Um, They're used to having it at their fingertips. So not only are they putting the money back into their neighborhood, back into the local area, they want it right now. And sometimes it's just easier to do it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. And then you know, one of the um, BS in ESG is is social. So so things that um, I've talked about a lot in the Meet the Author series with, with some of my colleagues is diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, like right now we're, we're celebrating black excellence. Month. And then I, know, I went to the hockey game yesterday, the Vancouver Canucks, and it was black excellence night and just, just an awesome time. And again, it's just making people aware. And then you realize that, oh my God, this particular talent and skills and knowledge has been around. We just need to kind of get it up in the surface surface a bit more and let people appreciate what we've got.
2: And even on a smaller scale, so it doesn't even have to be diversity or anything like that. Are you tracking your turnover rate, your retention rate, your Uh compensation rates, all of that ties into it at a business level as well. And that's the S, that's the social port. It's not just the outer world, but what is your own culture and your own world within those walls of your business?
1: Yeah, one of the conversations I quite often have is um well we got to do the business case, we got to calculate the ROI, return of interest. And I'm suggesting, well if you want to look at uncertainty in a business case, that's there's a lot of uncertainty in this business case here. What's probably certain is that you can estimate the cost of that, the expenses side. But what about the revenue you're going to bring in the income? You're in, you're, you're forecasting and you're forecasting into a very unpredictable future. And how often I've seen when somebody goes, oh, wait, we're doing a five-year forecast. We expect X to come back. But do you ever go back and check that business case to see if those forecast and those assumptions are right? And the funny thing too is that, you know, <clears throat> whenever we do a business case, we have the identified risk. And then we go like, okay, we're going to do mitigation plans against this risk. Well, there's a thought. um, realize that There are a lot of unknowns out there that you haven't even thought about yet. How are you going to account for those sort of things? So, again, that's uncertainty. And I think if people have an eye towards, like, we got to look at the uncertainty, but obviously you can't predict it. You're in a better chance to respond if one of those uncontrollable forces kind of hit you out of nowhere.
2: No, it, you you really are. And um, a lot of those stuff with sustainability ROIs, when we look at lighting projects, right, a lot of people are taking those old fluorescents and swapping the LEDs. Yeah. Those type of ROIs will be way bigger. Or can you switch to geothermal energy, right? In a couple of years, you have the absolute best energy source right there. And it's way cheaper. So I think people are starting to dig into those with a little better data because we have it available now. Now, if they're going back and checking it, I don't know. But at least we can provide them with some good information. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not sure if you have enough knowledge about your own company, which is involved in climate climate change and controls. Uh, but have you noticed um, any patterns of generational buying? Like, do you find that boomers are buying this stuff, or is it the younger people, millennials? Texas?
2: I think it depends on whether we're talking residential or commercial. because residential definitely seeing millennial side right but that's who's buying well depending on your interest and where you're at right who's buying houses and what's going on with that market but still on the commercial side i see a lot more decisions still with that boomer because that's who's still in those authoritative positions but what i do see a lot of are millennials gen z's Becoming passionate about our environment and sustainability or the social aspects of things. And they're really good at convincing or showing um, and getting into that authoritative figure, depend no matter the generational person that might be there and convincing them why ESG is important. Yeah.
1: When you talk about the the millennial exes and disease, those are my nieces and nephews. And I'm I'm
2: millennial. It's okay.
1: I learned a lot from them, you know, like when I start talking about ROI, they go, no, okay, it's ROA. What? What's ROA? We turn on attention. Right? If if I don't if I see something and if I don't get it within 15 seconds, click, I'm going on to something else on my phone. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so there, yeah. So you better get my attention like really, really fast, or else I'm moving that- on.
2: Instant gratification, I'm telling you, just yeah. like that lettuce head. They want to be able to have it now. TikTok has gotten everybody within 15 seconds. You better grab my attention or I'm, I'm good.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> the other story I'll share with you, too, is that, you know, we have big family family dinner and, you know, typically family dinners. Everybody says you are going home. But for the next half hour, you're in the front door the lobby and you're still, you're still chatting away. And the older folks, we say goodbye to each other and then we leave. But I noticed that uh, my, my kids talking to their cousins, they don't. They just leave. and are going like, do not you going say goodbye? So they're, no. I so said, why not? Well, when you say goodbye, you kind of like break the connection. We're always on. We we never disconnect. And they're like, really? And sure enough, you know, my, my granddaughter's like that. You know, in the old days, we'd have that joke where we – we'd be with our friends in high school, we'd come home, we'd get on the analog phone and we'd start chatting. Well, they've got their little device, so they're always on. It's right Right through the midnight, in fact, as well. So it's, it's, it, it's different, definitely different. No question about that. Okay. So I think, you know, from this, we just want to maybe tell the listeners that um, don't be afraid of uncertainty. I mean, I don't want to say you have to embrace it, but be aware of it. Um, look for those weak signals if you can see something may be emerging, and I think you got to be just prepared to innovate and adapt if it hits you. Right? Okay. So let, let's now turn our side, <clears throat> our attention to the practical side, because um, what we want to do in this show as well, Megan, is certainly talk about the why and the what, and I think we've done that. But uh, we know that people like to know about the how. So how do you do this? How do you implement this up here? And and just for a bit of context, um, let's let's just consider small and medium sized companies that maybe they are resource limited, and they really need to get the best bang for the buck. So sure. my, just the first question they may ask is: So so help me, what are the current rules? Is an ESG framework mandatory
2: by law regulation? Or is it just a nice to have? Yeah, um, and it depends on where you're at and what company you're in, Mm. to answer that question. But um, where regions, it is not mandatory. There's still so many companies um, disclosing ESG information from investors or wanting it, right? That's how they're determining financial performances and different considerations for companies when they're making those investment decisions. So even though it's not mandatory, chances are you're going to want to start looking into it anyways. Um, For those small Mm -hmm. and medium-sized companies that don't have a lot of resources, because I get it, not everybody gets to spend their day or their week or their month working on it. Um, I would say the first thing is you're going to want to do is assessment of material, right? Um, Identifying which issues are most relevant for your industry, because depending on your industry is going to depend on what you need to focus on. Um, Focus on those areas where your company has the most significant impact or where you have the most significant risk. You really need to understand where can I make the biggest impact? Because let's be real, with ESG reporting, it's your time to shine and to brag. Right. So pick something you can do. Or if you're in an industry that you have a lot of risk on hand, you're heavy in air emissions or different things like that, you probably should be working towards understanding the assessment of that materials. Yeah. Yeah. Then, right. Then, uh, really just prioritization, right? So ESG initiatives based on their potential impact on the business performance, your stakeholder expectations and regulatory requirements, you know, low cost, high impact. That's a good way to start always. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you go to your boss and they're like, what's it going to cost me? And you're like, no, it's $300. Uh, and you, the lower the cost, but the higher the impact. Um, I'll never forget when we rolled out 5S, right? And you're taping everywhere. But now all of a sudden the warehouse is clean and they're like, oh, this is a cool thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. I think part of prioritization as well is like um, these initiatives don't have to be coming from the top. Mm-hmm. No, guess- they don't. A smart, you know, the smart executive would say, hey, peoples, what are we doing now, even that I'm not aware of? Or is there something that we can do, you could do, as an, even as an individual, that can make a significant change? And it could be like, you know, our, our, our waste dumping practices are, the, are crap. Let's clean that up there, and maybe we can recycle some stuff here. And, you know, we can start that tomorrow and, and do that. Right, so you want to do something that's easy to do, but as you say, makes a big impact.
2: Even as little as adding a line item into your risk assessments when you do projects, right? Somehow tie in your integration into your business strategy for ESG's considerations, mm-hmm. right? So, can you tie in at that risk assessment? You're working on your waste, you're reviewing it annually or semi annually, or whatever your permit requires you to do. Do you have a section in there that goes, How was I? performing how did I track this how could I make it better low cost high impact and then brag about it right
1: yeah 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 okay well what about tools and, and other resources um there's a lot of again our resource strapped. Are, are there areas that I can go there and get really really good <clears throat> free information and help
2: there is, and again, this is gonna depend on where you're at, Canada or the States, but there's lots of industry associations, government agencies and nonprofit organizations that really tie into ESG reporting. I do wanna caution you though, be careful that you're using a real one and a good one. Um, right? So the last thing you want is for Joe to come up to you and tell you he's gonna solve all your problems for $2 million and then walk away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's my, That was really my next question. And it's been told to me before is okay. I just had some consultant just roll up to my door and says there, I've got a real slam dunk, large ESG change initiative. And what we'll do is that we're going to start off with this big launch where you get to tell employees that new technology and process will be implemented. So get ready to shift your behavior.
2: Oh, you gotta love a good talker, but yeah, no, I would really challenge them, right? If they can give you a, for sure assessment to evaluate your needs, mm-hmm. right? After they attain, you get that assessment, you're going through everything, then they're going to engage those stakeholders. If that consultant can start tying in employees, managers, relevant departments, gathering feedback, they're working towards giving you some meat and potatoes, right? From yeah. there, maybe they're going to come up with a pilot test. We're looking on step three, Um you know, can we put it on a smaller scale before you do it company-wide? A good consultant's not going to come in and say, I'm going to change your whole company tomorrow. No, we're going to focus on this department, this area, and let's see how we can adapt it to the culture of your company. Once they've figured all that out, then they're probably going to come out and they're going to be able to provide training and support and help work through it. We've established this now let's make sure your employees know how to do it and they receive adequate training. I have never been a fan of a consultant sending me a packet of information and saying go implement. You know, that's you're kind of getting into that little gray area of are they doing it for me or are they helping me.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And maybe yeah. they'll offer training sessions, workshops, that that hands-on thing that really helps drive your processes.
1: Yeah. And that goes back to this, okay, if you're going to talk to me, give me the why, the why but you better give me the how mm-hmm. and and by the way when we talk about how um i don't want to see you come up with this slam dunk certain robust tool because we have a resilience problem here there's a lot right. of uncertainty with it here and just because you're really good at, at using a hammer don't think this well, this is a screw uh this is a nail this, this is a screw so don't start right. pounding away and you know. And I'm I'm getting the one being pounded here. So let's be careful about that. That's true. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of things that um I think we got to be careful of. And we do, when we talk about uncertainty, we do talk about complexity. And complexity is different. And um, as people on know me and they know my meet the author sort of themes, I talk a bit about the robust world of being the world of Lego bricks, where you could break things down, reduce things down. So this is the world of reductionism. And it served us really, really well. Again, this is not either or, this is both and, but now we're back at that point where we just can't break things down into parts, fix each one and put it back together again. I think my thinking now is that if I look at ESG, I wanna look at ESG as a whole, not break it down. So instead of thinking of Lego, I think of mayonnaise. You can't separate the, the ingredients. You gotta deal with the whole. So if you do something in the environment, how's that going to affect social? How's that gonna affect governance? You know, And then we're gonna look at, are you actually gonna be allowing unintended consequences to emerge? That are negative or maybe there's serendipity new opportunities that emerge and that's that you know certainly the advantage you don't know what's going to emerge which can make it exciting actually
2: yeah and i think a lot of that and and that's kind of the exciting part and and what i like but a lot of that comes back to picking what you know you can succeed at
1: yeah yeah
2: smaller bites don't eat the whole pie at once right and because as much as we all want serendipity, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but the, those smaller bites, those low cost, high impact, working towards a goal that you know you can, or your biggest risk, right? Don't don't ignore the large risks there. But I think that's there's really not a one size fits all answer for how complex ESG can get when you start really diving into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I do like you know, we we do talk about. Small change, because it's that thing called going viral. No, small changes can lead to huge impacts. So you don't know. So instead of doing one big thing, let's do a lot of small little experiments. And let's design those pilots and those experiments so that what we call it, they're safe to fail. So if it doesn't work, we go like, okay, uh, but we learned something. What did we learn? Extract the learning, and then move on. Try something else, because it is a bit of a trial and error, isn't it? That's as we're working through this thing,
2: and a lot of it is even just figuring out how you want to report things, how you want to track things, what conversion rate are you using to make sure your kilowatts per hour is tracked, all that fun stuff. And you won't know until you kind of figure out exactly how it needs to be done.
1: Yeah, yeah. So in you know in in this world, um, obviously. Employees are are really really important. Obviously, they need the training and support, but there's also they need to be communicated to effectively. So, what are your thoughts about how do you? What sort of a comprehensive communication plan would you be would you be constructing to help them out?
2: Engaging them with it. One of the things I always try to do in my sustainability meetings is have an employee there, Um, whether it's your high performance work team, it's a shift lead, it's somebody who knows that process, something, have them in there with you. Um, You can put managers, directors, VPs in a room all day long. They're not the one pulling the water sample at the waste outfall. Yeah. Right. They're the one seeing the growth. So have that person in the room with you to have those discussions. Then we, we're such in a world, and I think this is that, um, oh, the boomers maybe, I don't know. Don't send me an email. I'm probably not going to check it. I will because it's work, and I have to, and I, and I will, right? But so many times a business comes out, and they're like, well, we sent you an email, and they're telling that to an operator, Mm. That operator is not checking that personal email. You have to be able to use multiple forms of communication. Yes. Do you have a TV scrolling with slides, information? Are you sending out text messages? Are you using systems like Everbridge to communicate, or whatever it may be? Right. Um, you could use email, intranet, different meetings, workshops. Do you have the old school bulletin board? You can go thumbtack a poster or two. Right. That's probably better than an email. Um, yeah. But so many companies finish up the end of the year, their KPIs are posted, books are closed. And they're like, yeah, we, we sent out an email with our uh, end of year results, go check it out. And that poor operator on line three hasn't signed into his email in 10 years.
1: i gonna share a story with you that communication is, ha- or poor communication happens all over the place here. Um, it's report card time for for my for my grandchildren. So I was asking my son, like, oh, have you have you seen the report cards? He goes, I would if I could get into the portal. <laughs> so I mean like, don't you have like parent-teacher interviews? Not on, only if you ask for them, but I get an email that says, your your daughter's report card, click here. And so he started to click and 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 this is a, because she just entered a new school so he's not familiar and he clicked on the button and, and, and the button kind of didn't work so he was like what do I do now so he did talk to his neighbors who had been there oh this is what you got to do ignore this do this to get in here so you go like and I, was, I was just thinking like wow is that how they communicate now in that school
2: <laughs> it is it is I get my kids grades via and there's an online website as well so I think it's just the way
1: I guess that's the way. So maybe, maybe it's the older me that's got to get used to that (laughs) or whatever. But but he's a he's a Generation X. So I thought you know he'd be right into that thing. But he's there, no, Dad. I got trouble trying to get in here as well. (laughs) On that one there, wow, that's amazing. Okay, Uh, one of the key things we want to talk about too, and I think we haven't mentioned it is ESG is not like one and done. It's really what we're talking about is it's if you're going to make the commitment, you're on this journey. Right. And the journey is going to be, if you like, forever. So we like to use that term, continuous improvement. Can you can you share some thoughts? What you have around that?
2: Whatever KPIs you want to do. Hmm. Um, one, I am not a fan of tying uh, like bonuses or that type of thing to these type of KPIs, but that's just me. (laughs) No, I'm with you. I don't, I don't like doing that, but I think when you start regularly tracking, whatever you decide is important to you, whether it be turnover, um, compensation, you know, environmental, uh, when I'm talking about water lights, all that fun stuff, whatever you decide, evaluate the performance on that. And don't be afraid to change what you're doing. Yeah. ESG is ever changing. The environment's ever changing, your water usage, whatever, right? Um, If what you're tracking or how you're tracking it isn't giving you the data you need from a data, not because it's bad, but because maybe your data points aren't there, uh,
0: Mm -hmm. be
2: willing to change how you're getting your information and then make adjustments as needed to celebrate the success or, you know, start driving towards different initiatives, which kind of leads me to my next um, as soon as you start developing those KPIs and you're tracking those, you have to celebrate them.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, really good point because um, it's. I think it, it, it helps to address the question: "What's in it for me?" Right yeah. for the employees here. Um, I've known that, uh, for example, the area that I get involved with is collecting stories or what we call as narrative data. So, yeah, we have um, big data which the IT systems provide us, and that's, and that's definitely helpful. But sometimes we have to supplement that with the why, because quite often they don't answer the why question. Only an employee experience can say, well, this is why it happened. This is why I did this. So we want to collect those stories, and there's different ways of doing it now, and collecting narrative data. But that all kind of feeds into what's happening and helps part of contingency improvement because you can monitor those stories as data and just kind of say like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, instead of going Y, we're going X. So what do we do? And if you collect your stories in real time, you've got instant information that you've got. So you you can pivot, you can change when you have to, as opposed to like, I wish you had told me that like three months ago, right? Because I've been in so many, um, you know, as you say, decision maker meetings where they find out and somebody always says, why am I the last person to know about this? Everybody else knew about it. Well, maybe one, you don't have a good system that allows that information to percolate up. Second, which is a bigger topic, probably not one for today, but maybe for another show, is psychological safety. Maybe people are fearful of speaking up. Whatever is it, retribution? Well, it's not retribution, it's that I do speak up. They just never listen to me. So why bother? There's nothing in it for me. Right. So,
2: conditioning is huge. It really is. But it all comes down to how that same employee you had in your meeting to help develop things go back to them and be open to the feedback they're willing to give you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to that whole thing about diversity and equity, but the word is inclusion. It's one thing to include them. Next thing is are you willing to allow them to engage them and participate? Uh, Maybe get to the point of contributing, maybe even get to the point of of challenging, saying, you know, I think that measure we took really sucks. Um, You know, and I can with courage say that. Because I know how you will receive that and say, oh, what can we do better? As opposed to like, no, 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 this works. And then you get into that sort of a bun toss. You don't want to go there at all. But that takes, you know, and we really what are we talking? We're talking about culture, you know. Yeah. So ESG, and I don't like to talk about one big culture because you can have a safety culture. You can have an, I guess, an ESG culture now, right? But it's just, what are those stories people are sharing every day? Because that's really where it tells you what the culture is for that particular company.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah so, okay. We've kind we've of 45 minutes It's basically where the time has gone. Right? Um, maybe we should, I know, I know we want to talk a bit about greenwashing, but we'll leave that to the very end. So let me just, let's just do a quick, maybe summary for people. Cause we've covered a lot of stuff here and let's, let's boil this down to like, what are some inflammation Implementation do's and don'ts. So if we had to do a quick bullet list for folks, what would we put on that do's and don'ts list? So let's see if we can do that and help people out. Okay, so let's start off with people. What what, what could we say about people?
2: The what's in it for me question, right? Be prepared to answer that or fight against it, whichever way, um, engaging those positive people. The last thing you want probably dealing with your ESG stuff is someone who um, maybe isn't exactly fond of a tree, you you know, and I I say that lightly and jokingly, but it's never a good thing to say, we're working on air emissions and we're trying to make our environment better and they don't care. Right. So involving the right people. Don't ignore the vocal resistors though. So while you may not have them completely involved still have them involved and I know that's silly but it's I'm, I don't know how I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say yeah but
1: yeah, yeah. sometimes we, we we call these these are the outliers you know, yeah you know and typically when we do surveys we do bell curving and we look at the bell curving we look at people in the middle and we go like you know those people at the ends they're the outliers we'll ignore them I mean, that's what you would do in a robust perspective. But because we're taking an uncertainty resilience perspective, we listen to all the voices. Because that little voice out in the world is saying, I don't think we should go there. Could be that weak signal that goes like, I wish we had listened to you. <laughs> so, do you want to take that risk? Let's find out. And then, what I've discovered, so the work we do, you do listen to the person, and you find it it's not about the person and the way they're behaving, but it's the, it's the systems that we have that kind of force them to work that way. So then you look at, oh, my God, he's, he's behaving this way because we put systems in place, whether they be incentive programs, pay, labor, what of those things. We've imposed all those things here. That's why he's behaving this way. So he could be a real source, you know, like, oh, this is something we need to change internally. And changing internal processes, that's part of governance. So maybe that's what we want to do as well. Okay. What about starting off? What's some do's and don'ts about, you know, taking the first step into this whole thing? What would you say?
2: Make sure you understand what your history, your company has done in the past and what has and has not worked.
1: Yeah. Good point. Really good point.
2: You know, there's nothing worse about failing when you already know you're going to fail. So try to learn from mistakes and keep going with it. Yeah. Um, and then again, don't expect these huge, big successes right off the bat, right? It's just not going to happen. Focus mm. small, start small and be able to build from there. Um, and I say a small project. You could redo the entire lighting for a facility. That's not a small project. But overall, it's a good place to start to focus on. You're focusing on your lighting. That's what you've chosen. Don't do lighting, water, and air emissions. Pick one area and stick with it for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think we're learning as we go, right? Mm -hmm. What works, what doesn't work for us, right? And that, of course, we talk about measures and metrics. I think, you know, like, again, you said, don't start up an overwhelming number of measures, but uh, what else would you like to say about that? What do's and don'ts?
2: Yeah, I've never been a fan, especially when you're starting out again, incentivizing annual targets. Mm. And then I usually like to take two years at least to build my baseline. So many people come in and they're like, we want to drop it by 3%. What do you even know what to drop? You have to be able to understand where you're at what your build is. And then when you see, okay, I have two years of data. I see that my peak season is June, July, whatever. I see my trends. Then I can work on a 3% reduction. Then I can work on zero to landfill or net carbonization or whatever it may be. You can't come out there swinging. You just, it just won't work.
1: Yeah. um, I think what we're really saying is you really want to report on process progress efforts that you're making rather than looking at a pass-fail results. That's right. And we, too often, we just look at, oh, did we win or did we lose at the end? You know, which, which is, you know, essentially looking at the score at the end of a baseball game. No, I think we're we're interested in, you know, what's, instead of looking at the scorecard, let's look at the scoreboard. Okay, it's the bottom of the fourth, you know, we're down one run. Okay, what do we have to do to get back into the game? Okay, it's the bottom of the eighth now. We're ahead one run. What do we have to do for for the top of the ninth to save the game, right? That's the thinking we got to do is looking at the progress things. And I'm 100% with you about don't incentivize annual targets. Sadly, I read that too much where that's built into somebody's executive bonus pay. And, you know, I scratched my head, made go like, this person got this bonus for something they had no control over. So was it just pure dumb luck that they got it? And then on the other side too, is that people work really, really hard at developing this thing and then something out of their control. An earthquake, for example, happens. They don't, so is that a pass or fail on them as well? Did we just dismiss all that great effort they put in as well? So I think we gotta be very cognizant of that. Okay. And last thing, let's, let's just talk a bit about some do's and don'ts about good old technology what do
2: you think on the timelines so a lot of the times people come in and they're going to say we can do xyz in six months and you'll have an roi in two years will mm-hmm. i though like <laughs> are you sure you know there's a huge capital investment don't be overly swayed by those discounts Um, I will say I have had success in them. A lot of companies, especially in the States, will come to you and they'll say, hey, we'll replace all your lighting with LED lights and you get credits on your bills going forward or you do peak usage hours or different energy groups will help you with that. Um, But it's not necessarily a capital. You're the capital. They're helping you get those discounts with them. Um, But utilize it, right? Technology is out there. I would make sure that you know what you need. And then installing it, going forward with it. And then again, using it as a baseline to create your data. Don't get swayed and thinking that you need the Royals, what is it, Royals Royce, you know, that's super fancy of everything, because yeah. yeah. you don't. Yeah. Um, it's great, but there's lots of good solutions out there.
1: Yeah. And I'll even put that, say a few things about the IT that you want, because I know there's a lot of really good ESG vendors offering Here's here's some nice software that your employees can do. And I think that's good. But I think we also got to be really, really honest about that's going to take operational time and energy requirements. And again, it's back to that. So what's in it for me to enter the data? Because we hear about under-reporting or some things like, oh, let's not put that. Let's not report that because that means that's going to create a lot of paperwork for me. Let's just ignore that, right? So you... You, you got to overcome the gaming of the, situ- of, of, of the situation and people will do that, right? Because, because you're good at gaming. <laughs> All right. So last 10 minutes, let, let's hit the biggie. Um, let's talk a bit about greenwashing because, and let me just give you what I think greenwashing is. It's, um, and maybe I got this to Wikipedia, I'm not sure. It's an deceptive marketing practice where companies make false or misleading claims about the environmental benefits of their products, services, and policies. Well, I can definitely see how this can erode trust in sustainability efforts. So, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I th- you know earlier I mentioned trust is key when we're looking at ESG. You have to have trust from your employee to your stake level, your stakeholders, all of that. Greenwashing um, is exactly undermines trust and sustainability efforts. It's exactly what it's doing um you know so you can be rightfully or wrongfully accused of greenwashing but it really is a big thing on the sustainability movement right now yeah yeah okay
1: so what, what, what can we what can a company do like as you say it's something you can't control i mean yeah again, back to our example of Lululemon. lemon i they can't say they're Oh, I think we'll control that but we'll just delete delete us from the internet. It doesn't work that way. And no. No, I know, I and uh, that they can do. They know no. you can't do that. Right? So, what do you
2: do? Transparency and be authentic. Ah. Um, avoid over exaggerating or making under, you know, under substantiated claims about environmental benefits. Someone's going to call you out. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked earlier about everyone's phones at their fingertips. They're recording you. They're typing something. They're taking a video, a picture. Don't say something that's not really true, right? And then when you do provide that authentic authenticity of the part, right? Uh, clear, you got evidence-based. You got good policy services, uh, procedures, data on emissions, resource, social imprints. You can show, look, this is my problem. I'm transparent. I'm trying to make it better. Here's the Proof of my data as to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Yeah. Once you have that data, third party verification. Ah, You uh can seek third party verification or certifications for sustainability. Um, That's just going to get you more credibility and trust. It's not me saying it. It's not, well, yeah, she's the regulatory director. Hmm. Yeah, her numbers look good. No, there's a third party verifying that my information is out there. Um, Fair trade certified. Yeah.
1: So when I buy coffee, the packet just says fair trade certified, right? That's it. That's okay. right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, robust reporting and disclosures, right? So you have uh-huh. the transparency, you have authentic data, you have that third party verification. Now we're going to make sure that we're reporting it and getting it out there, right? Um, use internationally uh-huh. recognized frameworks, right? There's global reporting initiatives, um, okay. the SASB, the Standards Board. All sorts of different things to ensure your consistency and the comparability of data.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Because it, it is a, it is a kind of like a moving target right now, isn't it? You know, everybody still gets, still wants to get into the game. I guess so. There's a competition amongst frameworks themselves. It seems
2: there is, there is, yeah, and it depends on which country you're in as to which one's leading mm-hmm. the leading the pact for which one is the the top dog there. Yeah. Um yeah. Then I would really. this is more of a marketing thing, but avoid greenwashing language and imagery, Mm. right? Nothing is going to catch you worse than if you're saying, well, this is green. This is sustainable. This is eco-friendly because those are the words that your stakeholders and customers know. And if they look into that and they somehow dig up your reports or information and they go, this is false, you are now the next viral problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So
2: I, I would avoid it. It's always course you're going to have it on some things and it's, it's good in certain ways but you better be able to back it up
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: and then uh last but not least continuous improvement mm-hmm. mm-hmm. just keep keep going keep pushing those goals keep trying to push the bar and keep going along with it all
1: right okay well here we are at the top of the hour um so like in most of my cases uh, before we, we close it off um did you is there any comments um Scott um anyone want to share with us on the chat at all
0: yeah folks folks were pretty pretty quiet I think we forgot to mention that uh Megan's on a vacation uh right. uh, 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 uh anniversary vacation this weekend Yay. Yeah, right dialing in from uh from the hotel room. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm in Disney World. I I have my child banging on the door outside, screaming. So if you heard him, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't. We didn't hear anything, but we should. Uh, we should be appreciative that you joined us from yes, uh, your vacation and 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 maybe um, let you uh, leave. I didn't. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, everybody's been on the entire time, uh, listening intently, but no, no questions. I think you guys did a fantastic job of of covering off. One one thing I'll ask maybe quickly just before we close is um we're still really really early stages of of ESG and and I know that uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of safety professionals in more traditional safety roles um uh, struggle sometimes with the with the uh workload and and budget and you know expectations um you've you've kind of been on both sides megan like do you you see this as a really good long-term career opportunity for for people in in safety to be uh you know getting in early even though it's politicized and you know there's a lot of divisive kind of conversations going on but looking long term do you see a, a big opportunity
2: do. And I'm one of those ones that made the jump, right? I'm a safety professional by trade and I've kind of gone that route. And I I always looked back at the safety side and I wondered, what could I do next? What was next? I know OSHA, I know EPA, I know those regs. I was almost bored with, you know, okay, well now let me go work on something that still applies to everything. It's still the same knowledge base. It's still the same applying Mm -hmm. regulations, regulatory world. How can I help drive different change and innovation? So I think it's a completely, it's interesting and intriguing, and it's something exciting and new again that is only going to boom.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think what we're also saying too is how things are shifting, where we used to have an HR pillar, a safety pillar, and maybe a sustainability governance sort of pillar, but now they're blending in together, which is probably a good thing. Why? Because again, it's all about resilience and how things are whole and not into their parts. So I think this has been a great conversation, um, great lunch. Thank you very much, Megan, for joining us, and uh, I'm sure you're going to have a really good, enjoyable rest of your
0: yeah.
2: day. <laughs> Make him stop crying. I'll go get him a Mickey ice cream bar or <laughs> yeah, something. There you go.
0: There yeah, you go. T- uh, Tiffany said, enjoy your enjoy your yeah. trip. So yeah. say, hi
1: sp- t- say hi to say hi to Tinkerbell, of course. I can do that. I will. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.